0: Oh, yay, oh, yay, oh, yay.
1: I'm Derek Alexander Pope, Managing Director of the Ark of Justice Institute, and welcome to Hidden Legal Figures. Each week, this podcast brings you the lost stories of the heroic and vital contribution that lawyers and judges made to the civil rights movement. This week, we take a look at a lawyer whose entire legal career, from his very first case on through his retirement, was dedicated to the proposition that liberty and justice could be had for all. They called him Mr. Civil Rights, and his name was Donald Lee Hollowell.
2: The system of segregation was a bitter pill for all who used it, but the great burden fell mostly upon persons of color.
1: The Christmas holidays of 1917 brought more than just presents into the home of Osenia and Harrison Hollowell. It also brought their third child. Donald Lee Hollowell was born December 19, 1917 in Wichita, Kansas. Education was an important feature in the Hollowell home, something that was stressed from the very beginning.
2: My mother had gone to Lincoln uh, out in Jefferson City, where Lincoln was Lincoln Institute, and then to Western University in Kansas City, and my father had gone to uh, Arkansas Baptist College down in Little Rock. And so they had an appreciation for education, and they tried to push us all
1: they could. But the economic hardships of the Great Depression forced the family to move to Leavenworth in search of better opportunities. And just as young Hollowell was preparing for his senior year in high school, his father asked him to get a full-time job to help support the family. In an act of resentment, Hollowell enlisted in the army instead and at age 17 began serving in the 10th Cavalry which was commonly known as the Buffalo Soldiers. He would serve three years and go on to attend Lane College in Jackson, Tennessee, where he excelled both academically and as a three-sport athlete. It was in college where he had his first encounter with something that he had not experienced while growing up in Kansas, racial prejudice. While traveling through the South to play football games against other Negro schools, Hollowell came into contact with what he called a society whose primary passion seemed to be the isolation of the races and the demeaning of all Negro citizens in every imaginable way. His studies at Lane College would be interrupted, however, by the outbreak of World War II. He was recalled to serve in the United States Army in 1941, first reporting to Fort Benning, Georgia. And there he was reintroduced to the custom of the separation of the races.
2: Every black soldier in the whole of the army and who was in the military in World War Two, every black soldier would have his story to tell of what it meant to be in that kind of a segregated situation.
1: And Mr. Hollowell had his stories to tell. Like the time just after graduating from officer candidate school and he was riding a bus and was about to exit the front when the driver yelled at him, What are you doing here? Get back there and get off at the back. Or the time when he was relegated to eat in the kitchen, instead of with the other officers, even though he was a captain himself. There was even one instance when Mr. Hollowell was ushered out of the base's movie theater because he was a Negro. When he recalled these incidents for his biographer, Mr. Hollowell said, You know, that doesn't do much for your spirit. But there was a silver lining amidst the haze and fog of racial contempt. On September 28th, Don Hollowell organized a social mixer at Fort Benning that included some of the women from the Apex News and Hair Company in Atlanta. Attending that mixer was Louise Thornton. She was the manager of the Apex Beauty College, located on Atlanta's historic Auburn Avenue. And Mrs. Hollowell would later vividly recall how their romance began.
0: We found that we had many things in common. He liked dramas, he liked music. We just liked same things. He's very good in English and I was good
1: in English. So you see that all the things were right there for us to sort of get in love. And not wanting to waste any time, Mr. Halliwell asked the big question. He said, uh, when are we going to get married? I said, married? talking about? I don't
2: know. <laughs> I said, but if we're going to get married, it wouldn't be before the fall. So he said, well, I'm going to be leaving.
0: And he said, what's wrong now?
1: Donald and Louise were married on May 19, 1942. The day before, Mrs. Hollowell spent the entire day working at her salon on Auburn Avenue. Shortly after midnight, They exchanged their vows, and the next morning, Mr. Hollowell boarded a segregated train on his way to serve in a segregated army. The experience left him demoralized, and he yearned for what he called a calm and financially stable future. He thought he could achieve that goal by becoming a dentist, which would let him operate comfortably within a segregated system. His vocational aspiration would soon change, however, and it would place him on the path where he would become the legal mastermind of many of the nation's most important civil rights cases. After being honorably discharged from the army, Hollowell returned to Lane College and he became a delegate to the 1946 Negro Youth Conference, which itself was a forerunner to the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Maurice Daniels is the author of Saving the Soul of Georgia, Donald L. Hollowell and the Struggle for Civil Rights. Professor Daniels shares with us the impact the conference had on the young student.
0: The Southern Negro Youth Congress's um, primary mission was to uh, gain voting rights for blacks in the South. They were trying to um, influence Congress Uh, to pass legislation uh, that would be anti-lynching legislation. And they were concerned about civil and equal rights uh, within the South. And so that was their major platform. And so and Mr. Hollowell, growing up in Kansas, um, uh, was not familiar with civil rights organizations. He was not familiar with civil rights leaders, Uh, but he was just in awe at this conference. He had an opportunity to meet uh, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, Uh, he had an opportunity to meet uh, Paul Robeson. Uh, Paul Robeson, the uh, Rutgers uh, Phi Beta Kappa, uh, the great baritone uh, film actor, later film actor and uh, Broadway uh, star. Uh, But Paul Robeson also was an international uh, activist and humanitarian and also a lawyer. Uh, uh, Paul Robeson earned a law degree uh, from Columbia University and Robeson, uh, Dr. DuBois uh, encouraged these students to join the struggle. And so Holloway goes back to Lane College after the conference and literally changes his major from biology uh, to social science and decides to become a lawyer.
2: I had seen enough in my own life by that time. You see, I was a man coming back into college after having been in the Army twice and having been both an enlisted man and an officer. And uh, in my own mind, uh, I had experienced enough to want to do something about yeah.
1: He graduated magna cum laude from Lane College in 1947, and in 1951 he earned his law degree from the Loyola University School of Law in Chicago, Illinois. In 1952, he set up practice in Atlanta and began the work that would be his life's calling.
0: He was a deeply religious man and often said he had a sacred call to become a civil rights lawyer, to help democracy
1: become more of a reality for all Americans. His first chance to answer this sacred call presented itself just two years after graduating from law school. And Professor Daniels explains how the case catapulted Donald Hollowell to the legal front lines of the civil rights struggle. It was
0: 1954. And it was the case of the state versus Willie Nash. This case was the beginning of Hollowell's rise to prominence as Georgia's chief civil rights lawyer. Hollowell defended Nash in a capital case that included indictments for the rape of a white woman and the murder of her white lover. And there were no crimes in America for which a black man would have been more severely punished than for the rape of a white woman and the murder of a white man. Despite the racially charged courtroom environment, which included the prosecuting attorney using the N-word, Hollowell not only represented Nash, but prevailed in obtaining a not guilty verdict from an all white jury. The fact that this was Hollowell's first criminal case and his first capital case, only two years out
1: of law school, it magnified his victory. Several years later, he would handle another criminal case, one that would garner national and international attention, and also one that solidified his reputation as a civil rights legend.
0: His most celebrated criminal case occurred in 1961, and it was a case of Cobb versus the state of Georgia. It was a complex case that involved the systematic exclusion of blacks from the jury jury rows in Monticello, Georgia and Jasper County. In this case, Hallowell represented a 15-year-old Preston Cobb and rescued him from death row in Reidsville Maximum Security Prison, five days before the scheduled execution. Cobb lived with his mother on a farm in Monticello, Georgia, which was owned by a white, prominent white farmer, and Cobb was charged with his murder. Less than 90 days after the murder, on August 16th, 1961, an all white, all male jury deliberated less than 40 minutes before sentencing Cobb to die in Georgia's electric chair. Equally alarming as the quick trial, the judge set the date for Cobb's execution to take place less than 40 days later. And even more troubling, Cobb's court appointed white attorney uh, failed to appeal uh, the verdict. The case drew national and international attention eleanor roosevelt became involved in the case and dutch court officials representing the netherlands
1: traveled to atlanta to advocate for preston Cobb. in fact when eleanor roosevelt learned of the case she sent a telegram to governor ernest Vandever. in it she said she was shocked, shocked to, learn to learn that, learn that a 15 year old boy was sentenced to die, to die. this This to me me is unthinkable unthinkable. and I hope that you will do all all that you can can to obtain clemency
0: meanwhile Vernon Jordan, Hollowell's law clerk whose father was from Monticello, heard of Cobb's predicament and arranged for Cobb's mother to meet with Mr. Hollowell just a few days before the scheduled execution
2: I am I started working with Hollowell the Monday after I graduated from law school. And so it was very exciting. I was the first uh, young law school graduate that Hollowell brought to his office. I carried Hollowell's briefcase, I drove his car, I did his research. Uh, I, I studied under him. I was his law clerk, I was his intern, I was his mentee.
0: Hollowell hurriedly mounted a defense for Cobb and won a stay of execution five days before his client was sentenced to die. Hollowell filed a flurry of motions with the local superior and state courts objecting to the systematic exclusion of blacks from the jury panels. Despite his repeated pleadings for a new trial the lower courts and the Georgia Supreme Court denied all of his motions. At that point, as he had done repeatedly in his relentless determination to see that justice was served, he turned to the federal courts. And the United States Supreme Court ultimately ruled that the practice of excluding blacks from jury pools using segregated tax digests was unconstitutional. Importantly, Hollowell and his law partners, Howard Moore and Horace T. Ward ultimately succeeded in not only preventing the unjust execution of this 15 year old cop, but also in exposing the double standard of justice in Georgia's uh, criminal courts.
1: Mr. Hollowell was involved in cases that transformed not only the South, but the nation as well and his work brought to a legal end, segregation in areas like education, public accommodation, voting, housing, and labor and employment. The contributions of this legal giant cannot be overstated.
0: The story of Donald Hollowell illuminates the amazingly comprehensive struggle that ended legal segregation in this state. This American hero embodied the spirit of a freedom fighter who worked behind the scenes. He was a highly influential civil rights lawyer with an enduring legacy. His pupil and protege, Mr. Vern Jordan is right. He said, Mr. Halliwell is no less significant than other revered legal thinkers and freedom fighters of the 20th century. He went on to say, for me, Mr. Hollowell remains as significant as Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, Thurgood Marshall, Fannie Lou Hamer, and many other well-known activists in the black freedom struggle. Hollowell's courage and his advocacy and his brilliant, lawyering helped to make real the promise of democracy. All men, if I could say parenthetically, and women are created equal, endowed by the creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness.
3: on the next Hidden Legal Figures.
1: Next week, Reverend Otis Moss Jr. shares some of his personal memories about the legendary lawyer, Donald Lee Hollowell.
3: Attorney Hollowell uh, came upon the scene at a time when we needed great, brilliant lawyers to do in the courtrooms of the land what some of us were trying to do in our marches and sit-ins and protests. I hope that when we write the history of Atlanta continually and the history of the movement uh, specifically, that we will give wider coverage to the contributions of Attorney Hollowell I think the movement would have been a failure without the presence, the support of great lawyers like
1: Attorney Hollowell. That and more will be part of our next episode as we continue to explore the grand legacy of Donald Lee Hollowell. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week for Hidden Legal Figures the podcast.
2: In partnership with the National Center for Civil and Human Rights, the Arc of Justice Institute is developing a traveling exhibit to recognize the heroic and vital contributions lawyers and judges made to the civil rights movement. Under the Color of Law will premiere in February 2021. To learn more, visit www.onthearc.net.